Welcome, everybody, to the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. I am Kenny Oak, joined, as always, by my tag team partner, Chris Harris. Chris, Bubs, how are you? I am excited for this episode. We finally get to make a little time to talk WCW. You know, we'll do a little more in the future, but this will be a bit of a catch-all type episode for the WCW product as a whole. So, Bubs, I am doing well. Yeah, this isn't going to be just uh, talking about a singular episode or a singular moment in WCW. This is just talking about WCW as a whole. Uh, really, you know, kind of a retrospective, uh, our own kind of retrospective, like a personal retrospective of WCW. Because, Bubs, the both of us, we were really into the product at one time, even much more so than we were into WWF at the time. Yep, and we're going to talk about a lot about that because WCW during parts of our discussions, WCW was the best wrestling product in the world at certain points. And they did a lot of great things. Now, they didn't maintain that a lot, and it, of course, fell apart. But uh, this was a strong thing. So I'm excited to get into this. Yeah, WCW was definitely the the wrestling show of choice. It had a little bit of everything. It had the edgy storylines. It had some of the best wrestlers in the world in the cruiserweights and some of the you know other guys that you know you had Chris Benoit, you had uh, Dean Malenko, Booker T. You know those guys when they were really hitting on all cylinders. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about. So instead of just telling people what we're going to talk about, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Oh, I'm excited, Bub. I don't know where you yeah. want to start with this, but we're going to dive in and we'll progress through this in a good way. Well, you know, let's just go ahead and start about with, with some of the history of uh, WCW. You know, how it broke away from the NWA kind of territory section and became really a catch-all for all of, you know, Southern wrestling as a whole. And, you know, it, it really based itself strongly in that uh, Florida, uh, that the Daytona Beach area became kind of its center of operations and uh at the time it really had some of the best wrestling action you can find like bar none like the it, the product ex- itself wasn't as big or as popular didn't have the lavish productions as wwf did in the in the late 80s early 90s but some of the the wrestlers there were definitely way above what the wwf was promoting at the time you know you had your rick flair's you had your, uh, you know, the Brain Busters, uh, Tully and uh, Arn Anderson, Dusty Rhodes, uh, Dusty Rhodes, Ricky the Steam, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yeah, you had everything. And a lot of this, I think, a lot of their popularity definitely grew. And this is talked about in all the documentaries about the the use of television and how they were really able to expand and get their product out there. Not necessarily, it's to view it as a product is kind of hard, but when you're when you're a, a financial mogul like a Ted Turner, you know you have to look at things as a money value and how they're gonna, how you're gonna gain money from it. And they they definitely got money from the product and they used it in a in a very good way to to expand their television. And they really got they were steps above WWF at the time in that land. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the things that WCW was definitely well ahead of the time with, and it was the you know with the onset of cable television, you know they had the superstation to back them WTBS you know and you know Ted Turner gave them you know a primetime slot and you, you hear this in all the documentaries and reading all the books you know one of the main things that these these guys talk about is that 605 eastern right you know time, time slot, slot yeah. and just how huge it was and how really the the cable station picked and chose what shows it wanted to promote you know, putting them before wrestling and putting them after mm-hmm. because they knew that there was uh, wrestling just drew so such a high rating, and you know people make fun of us wrestling fans all the time, but wrestling brings in a lot of viewers. And it's crazy to think that even way back then, this is a long time ago. We're talking that a show like this that was, I mean, definitely nowhere near the standards of production that it is now was in that prime time spot of six in the six in the evening to eight o'clock like that's when the majority of people are sitting down watching tv eating their dinner in front of the tv this was they used it as their primary show 
So it's crazy that even way back then, this was used to, to bring in such a vast audience and grow numbers and to build different shows around because they would definitely put shows before it and after it to try and build up different type of shows based around a wrestling show. It's crazy. Exactly. And, you know, it started with Georgia Championship Wrestling. And then, you know, you hear about Vince McMahon stepping in and stealing that uh, that cable slot, that TV slot right. with WTBS. And the fans rebelled against it, really. Mm-hmm. They didn't like the WWF product. It didn't last long, it, yeah. No. And they, they wanted that, you know, I call it like a southern style of wrestling where it's, it's more gritty. It's more of a realistic mm-hmm. wrestling style. And they definitely let that style trans, translate years later into the, the Nitro product that really took over the Attitude Era in the Monday Night Wars. They used that true gritty type, real type of wrestling and used it to, to gain a significant advantage over the WWF and Vince McMahon. And that's the thing about WCW. They were always a step ahead when it came to stuff like that. You know, they were the first product to get on cable television. You know, they, they were the first product to have some of those more realistic uh, storylines, you know, at least here in the States. You know, you know, you hear a lot of talk about where Eric Bischoff actually got the idea of NWO, and we'll get into that later. But really, a, at almost every step of the way, WCW seemed to be a step ahead of WWF, but there was always something that would bring them down. And you know, when you when you really dig into it and you research, you realize it came from the top. And you know what they always say? Shit rolls downhill. And there was a lot of shit at the top. Oh yeah, they they did a lot of good things. They did they did Starcade, which was a, a far above its and before its time when they started doing those. And they were doing a lot of great things, but when the top is so bad and doesn't support everybody underneath it and really doesn't know how to support it, I think that's just as important as the lack of support is they really didn't have anybody that was truly invested in a wrestling product that they could properly market and sell and finance and everything else that goes into it. They probably tried to approach it like a normal like a normal TV show or a normal type of product that you market in traditional ways, but wrestling is far different from any type of normal thing that you can that you can sell and i think that was never really approached the right way yeah and it's really hard to kind of put a finger on if you're not a part of the business then how do you promote the business and it's really unless you're you know the product it's pretty hard to have someone who has no you know prior history with professional wrestling you know they've you know, brought in different kind of moguls from different industries, like even even the pizza yeah. industry, and they didn't know what to do. They they tried to make it like some kind of other TV show or yeah. some kind of other sports product, but it's neither. It's, it's a mixture of the both. It, it's I hate to say it, but it's sports entertainment. Yeah, and you have to you know kind of look at it in a different light than you would some kind of other you know TV show, and, and it's not till. You know, more recently where you have a show like Lucha Underground that tries to, you know, turn pro wrestling into kind of that regular TV show. Mm-hmm. And they, but, have a, they have a different approach to it, which definitely worked for their audience. So that's – Exactly. Their, their approach was very good. But they – early uh, WCW, NWA type era, they, they brought in guys that were probably great at selling their specific product. So yeah, they right. might have been great dudes at marketing and, and running corporations, but – I mean, it is a sports entertainment. It's a definitely it's a different animal, and it needed to be treated as such. And it it definitely I don't want to say that that would have changed everything by any means, but it it wouldn't have sent them down the wrong path. Now, do you remember? Uh, this is in the early '90s. I think this was around '92 and '93 when they first brought Hogan in. Some of those terrible terrible little like mini movies that they made yes i do oh like that they tried to market hulk hogan not necessarily a bad idea because hulk hogan was that was the mega star like he could he could sell anything just for being on screen so i understand their attempts but those are terrible now that you're bringing up like you had like sting and sting trying to defuse a bomb and yeah you had Hulk Hogan going into like the Temple of Doom mm-hmm. uh, with Kevin Sullivan and his you know ragtag group of you know the Mummy I think was 
That, no, the Yeti. The Yeti. It was the yeah. Yeti. Oh. The Dungeon of Doom. The Dungeon of Doom, not the Temple of Doom. Either way, it was stupid. Yeah, that didn't work. And, so and it was more. it's those kinds of things that brought down the pro- and eventually led to the downfall of WCW are these just horrendous ideas brought up by people who have no business trying to promote wrestling. No, and it, it's a good thing that the the control eventually made its way to a guy like Bischoff who was very outlandish, who had all kinds of crazy ideas, but he knew he knew the game. He knew how to get things over. He knew how to compete with a mega brand of WWF. So once it finally Well, he's someone, that, yeah, he's someone that, you know, when he was, you know, getting this job, he branded himself as a businessman, as a marketer, mm-hmm. but he he came in the business as, you know, an announcer. He's an announcer, right. Yeah. So he, he so knew he, he probably knew a lot of backstage politics. He probably knew a lot of the ins and outs that a lot of these other guys didn't know. And he's a smart motherfucker. That's for damn sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, know, I know you really wanted to talk about it. He's one of the main uh, topics you wanted to get into. So, you know, just go ahead and hop into this right now. Yeah, because, I mean, he is the driving force of why they were by any means competitive in the Attitude Era, Monday Night War time frame of like 95, from basically from Nitro on until the very last Nitro. And his, all his ideas, all his outlandish schemes, some of them were not the best, but he, he's the real driving force of why they were competitive. And he gets a bad rap because, you know, he did a lot of bad things, but I mean, had he not done anything, they wouldn't have been on the level of WWF at the time whatsoever. And yeah, right before... Uh, Eric Bischoff, you had a guy, you know, like Bill Watts, who, you know, was in the industry, and he he ch- tried to bring in this like hard nosed, you know, my way or the highway kind of attitude, you know, made made things like coming off the top rope illegal, and you could get disqualified for it. Took out the the mats on the outside because he wanted, you know, the wrestlers to look tough. Yeah. But that that's not really what was selling at the time. You know, everything was was transitioning to this new kind of the, the people watching wrestling were mostly, you know, guys our age and, you know, in college. And so Eric Bischoff had the, the wherewithal to to realize who his audience was now and to cater to not only his audience, but the friends of his audience and to get, you know, not only are, you know, your normal wrestling fans watching but they're going to watch it and be like, wow, my buddy needs to see this. Mm-hmm. And it's just a trickle-down effect from there. And that's definitely how they, they grew their, their brand was bringing in people who weren't necessarily wrestling fans but showing them something that they could get behind because of the style that it was or because it was the cool thing. Regardless, if you like wrestling, you're going you're gonna to follow or watch something that's cool because everyone else says, oh, it's cool. So Eric Bischoff did a lot of cool things. The NWO was a very cool thing, and it was cool to like them and hate them, depending on you know if you were deep into wrestling or not. But it, they were the cool thing, so you followed them and you bought a shirt, even though you weren't a, a true diehard yeah. wrestling fan, you know. So yeah, because everyone was wearing the NWO shirt. Everybody owned that damn everybody. shirt in '96, '97, '98, and you know you could have had a Wolfpack shirt if you cared that much if you were a Kevin Nash guy. So it it, it worked. Everything that that he did was for a reason and he definitely knew his audience and he knew that he had to make significant attempts to be competitive. And you know, a guy like him, he, he said it himself, he wanted to compete with Vince McMahon. And that's a very hard thing to say because it, it comes with a lot of responsibility. He definitely competed, but it was that driving force of having to beat Vince McMahon and drive him out of business that, you know, it, it consumed him and ultimately led to, you know, let led to the demise of the product. Yeah. But the product itself, like you said, it had something for everybody. One of the you know, you, you love just the sheer athleticism of, you know, wrestlers and some of those high flying antics. You know, you had the cruiserweight division mm-hmm. and that was definitely the the anchor for Monday Nitro was was those cruiserweights. That's definitely something that brought me into watching uh, WCW. You know, your Chris Jericho's, Rey Mysterio's, Dean Malenko's, you know, those guys were the guys me and my brother looked up to and imitated. Mm-hmm. And then you had your cool storylines, like you said, with the, you know, NWO was so cool. Like, at that time, they were the it thing throughout the world, really. You, you watch Jay Leno and 
there you have you know Hollywood Hogan. Mm-hmm. You know you watch you know any kind of daytime product, and they're talking about wrestling. So and it's and it's because of these ideas that Eric Bischoff had and the the lack of fear to go out of his com- comfort zone and to you know really go to. Uh, Ted Turner and be like, this is a million dollar idea and we should run with it. Right. I love that he thought out of the box and he brought in a lot of international guys, guys that hung out in Japan for a while and gave them a shot because though they may not have been the most charismatic, or you're not going to run major storylines through them. You push guys like Benoit and Jericho yes. in the middle of your card. They're going to put on amazing matches or at the beginning of the card, you're going to see crazy stuff and that's really going to get the crowd up and excited. And if you're, you know, really into technical wrestling, that's going to be why you watch. So a little bit, a little bit for everything. If you like the mega stars, you're going to have Hogan and Nash and you're going to have big, heavy storylines. But at the beginning of the card, if you're like, I just want to see a damn good wrestling match. Okay. Well, here's psychosis and Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho watch this. And it's crazy. Exactly. And like I said, it's those cruiserweights that me and my brother really, because at the time I was, you know, a huge WWF fan, and this was around '96, '97, and my brother, I, I went to watch WWF, and he goes, "No, let's let's switch over. I've I, I've heard something else. Let, let's watch this WCW." And one of the first first matches I saw was a Chris Jericho match, mm. and I, I watched, and I was just like. This isn't like the WWF. Right. This is not like what I'm used to when it comes to wrestling, which is just some of these over the top kind of, you know, angles and characters that I, I can't relate to a Doink the Clown. I'm glad you said that because I love hearing Bischoff talk about it on the documentaries and on his podcasts about wanting to stray away from gimmick characters and just let the people be characters because. The doing the clown thing faded in, in late in the late eighties, man. Like, and oh, pe- absolutely. people acting like they're garbage men. And I mean, the, okay, the Yeti was a was a bad idea, but, but <laughs> that was early. That was pre Bischoff, to be right. fair. <laughs> but the realism that he added to the characters and straight away from the gimmickness made it seem a little more real, and it gave you a sense of of caring about not necessarily something that you know is fake, like a fucking clown. Where you instead now you have a guy like Jericho who's very real and very loud on the microphone and very good at what he does. Now you're much more into it because it's a changing of the times. This was still a little bit of grunge era music was in in the in the influence, and people were just trying to relate to something. So it's easier to relate to an outspoken heel character than it is to a clown. I exactly, I think that's why Bischoff really wanted to capitalize on stuff like that. And that's actually a great analogy now that you bring that up because, you know, in the in the 80s, you know, you have these over-the-top hair metal bands. Yeah. You know, you have your Guns N' Roses, you have your Twisted Sister, you know, Poison, bands like that. And it's hard to relate to kind of these over-the-top, you know, megastars. You're, you're told that these guys are, are well above you and there's no – you know, they're, they're these rock stars. Yeah. You, know, you can't be a rock star and then – the grunge movement comes in. You have bands like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, and they feel real and gritty. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of the same way. And a lot of people move from those hair metal bands to the grunge, you know, bands. Right. And that that that's very much the same when it comes to, you know, wrestling. You know, WWF had those you know goofy characters and you know made them feel over the top, like they're almost untouchable. Yeah. But WCW had these guys that you could you know relate to. They had like real problems and real like feuds that you can get behind. Uh, one of the one of the first times I ever realized that you know WWF kind of sucks and I don't want to watch it anymore. Me and my brother, we used to get on and, you know, I I doubt he's listening, but if he if he is, he's going to be a little embarrassed by this story. Uh, we used to go on wrestling uh, chat rooms back in the day. Oh, geez. AOL uh, dial-up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, we would, first thing we would do when we get into a chat room, we would ask, are there any real wrestlers in here? Because, <laughs> yes, they would answer yeah, to that. They'll be in there. There would be actual wrestlers in there. But someone had mentioned Doink the Clown, you know, 
And I was like, oh, hey, yeah, I know Doink the Clown. And, my, and the guy goes, yeah, well, he sucks ass. Ugh. I was like, oh. And I look at my brother to see what his reaction would be. And he was like, I mean, yeah, he, he does. Yeah. He sucks. <laughs> he sucks major ass. And I was just like, oh, I don't think I want to watch this anymore. Yeah. And so that's when we made the switch to WCW. And then I was getting put in Lion Tamers for like the next two years. And so. I feel like we're, we're bashing on Doink the Clown. We're not hating on the guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're, we're hating, yeah, on, we're, we're hating, hating on the gimmick. Character. Not the, not the that, actual, yeah. like, not the four people that played him. <laughs> yeah. Not that, just, just the idea just, of him. Yeah. The, the idea of these, of the goon. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> stuff like that. And at, at the same time, I think it's also worth mentioning that, depending on, obviously, the, the specific year we're talking about, WCW took a lot of talent away from WWE, and it was hard for WWE to regain traction around like that 94 95 96 time frame because they didn't have that established megastar you know like people that that the crowd just absolutely loved like even though lex luger is not one of the you know best wrestlers of all time he was a big draw so when wcw has guys like hogan and sting and lex and they they got macho man and 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 then at times they had flair there is the wwe was left with an underdeveloped Shawn Michaels. They were yeah, with an underdeveloped non-superstar like HBK yeah. and Bret Hart and you know the Undertaker. If you want to put him in that category, who were better wrestlers than the than the top draws in WCW? Absolutely, but like, all better wrestlers, but they were not perceived at that time of being that mega star of like this guy can draw absolutely anywhere because that wasn't the idea. The Undertaker's mystique and gimmick is what got him over, and then HBK and Bret Hart eventually put on great matches down the road and they drew their their fans but if we're talking that era when everyone starts to leave the wwe all these guys that have instant recognition are now on the wcw brand drawing even though they're not the best wrestler in the ring so that was something that the wwe had to had to deal with and they had to create new superstars from what they had and they did that it just took a little bit it was definitely a grind for them yeah and that's something that you know we've talked about before you you need when you bring in these people you know you're not going to be able to just push them right away and turn them into megastars you know like your your roman reigns you can't just tell us that he's a megastar and we instantly believe it yeah you know it takes time to develop these characters and you know not only their in-ring ability but their actual character themselves and you know stone cold came into the wwe in 96 but he wasn't the stone cold that we all knew no and it took about two years it wasn't until 98 end of 97 going into 98 where he really became you know the texas rattlesnake yeah you know and and he was and he became that megastar and so really at the time wcw instead of you know building their stars you know from the ground up which they eventually did with goldberg but Really, they, they took already recognizable stars, uh, already built-in household names, and just brought them over, hoping yeah. that they would draw. And they did, and they did for a long time. But if you don't build someone from the ground up, you know, WWE did it with Stone Cold, and boy, did they catch lightning in a bottle more than multiple times because they did it with stone cold and then the rock Rock and triple h and triple h mankind Mankind. to a lesser to a much lesser degree but still at the point where he became the most over he ever was in his career while he was in the wwe and And i'm glad you're bringing up austin because i have that on 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 a little cheat sheet that i made for myself here i have on the bad section of wcw booking why the hell only based solely on an injury that he had with the WCW let stunning Steve Austin go, who was one of their better mid-card guys and one of their best tag team guys in the Hollywood Blondes. Why would he let him go? And Oh, I'm glad you brought up the Hollywood Blondes. I loved the Hollywood love Blondes. Brian him and Flying Brian Pillman were fantastic together. Yep. I love both of those guys. And, yeah, you, you get rid of the guy because he's not part of your inner circle. Yep. And then he goes to w, uh, ECW and cuts just the most Fucking scathing and just like – Dirty promos. R- dirty. Oh, that's a great, great word to use. Mm-hmm. Just dirty promos. And you and you think, oh my god, this guy's this guy's going to be huge. Yeah, because for the, for the, the majority of 
what you consider the Attitude Era to be, Stone Cold Steve Austin is the X factor in the middle of all of it. Because oh, absolutely. He, he is what drove and gave WWE their momentum to get over the hump and to keep driving into the early 2000s to keep going. So I think I think if if WWE let's say there was no Stone Cold and they just had you know The Rock, let's oh, say okay, uh, Shawn Michaels still gets hurt and he has to leave. Yep. So Undertaker, yep. we'll just go and say go ahead and say the Undertaker takes over the mantle and becomes your WWF champion. I think with The Rock there would still be a, a big uptick and, sure. and he would be a great foundation. But without Stone Cold, I don't think that they get to that mega level that they got to and that they're at now. No, because their popularity... They don't become a worldwide brand. No, their popularity was driven by the Mr. McMahon versus Stone Cold Steve Austin rivalry, which is, I mean, arguably, just just to say that, but it is the greatest rivalry of two individuals probably ever. And for promo-wise, those two went back and forth. And for, I mean, again, that was a a good decision by McMahon to draw in crowds because they want want the uh, anti-hero, right? They want the guy who hates his boss, who gives him stunners, who drives beer trucks. And that's exactly, Stone Cold was just perfect for the moment and he was great at what he did. So had he not been there, none of that goes in that direction. We still get some stars out of it. The Undertaker is still the Undertaker. The Rock will probably develop. Triple H will probably develop. But there's definitely, they don't get to that level nearly as quickly and it's all going down a different road. So it could have all gone bad for the WWE had the WCW given stunning Steve Austin the opportunity and to recover from injury and to break out of that mid-card tag team thing to do something legitimate. So I I had to bring that up because I think that's a huge X factor and the reasons why they won the Monday Night Wars was Stone Cold. And that is a 100% fact, and I think that's something that we should you know, get into at a later podcast if, is, is what happens if there's no Stone Cold. Sure. And you know, we'll, we'll discuss this you know, later on, but I think that you're 100% absolutely right that without Stone Cold, if WCW never releases Stunning Steve, then you know, the Monday Night War is probably over, mm-hmm. and, it's, and we have, we're looking at a completely different wrestling landscape. But that's that's one of the things that WCW did is that the people at the top made terrible decisions they that did. led to the the competition, you know, winning winning over fans. Mm-hmm. You know, you release a guy like like Steve Austin, you basically dump a guy like Brian Pillman. Uh, you know, you you try and you know you you bring these guys over from ECW. You know, you still a a, a Raven over a Mike Awesome, yeah. and you treat them like garbage. Yep. You take them away just just to kind of take away some of the luster from ECW, and the fans the fans can pick up on that. And I loved watching, I, I don't remember if it was the Rise and Fall documentary or not, but it's in the discussion, and it's Dean Malenko that says that the undercard guys and the midcard guys that were out there working the most every night were never given the opportunity because the top guys on the card with creative control in their contract always had the right of way. And I think that, I mean, it's hard to say the the biggest driving factor, but the creative control that guys like Nash had and Hogan had to make decisions really affected these other guys from being mega stars. Chris Jericho was able to break away and become one of the greatest ever. Great for him. But there could have been guys that were in that mid card that could have had the opportunity to, to grow up into it and become huge. DDP was a good example. Booker T is a good example of guys who did it. But God knows who else could have done it and become even more over than those dudes, you know? Let me let me just go ahead and name off some of the guys that were, you know, held down because of their size and because, you know, I don't know, and I don't want to talk about this in a little bit, the worst thing to ever happen in wrestling, which is creative control to these guys. Yeah. But Chris Jericho, like you mentioned, becomes a, what, five-time uh, world champion WWE Uh, first ever undisputed champion Uh, still kicking having having the best run possibly maybe the best entire career career. right right oh my god Eddie Guerrero one of the greatest of all time in the ring the best wrestlers uh, of all time one of the best characters Mm -hmm. of all time Latino Heat is one of just the best loved it yes Chris Benoit love it he became a multi multi-time world champion mm-hmm. in WWE. Uh, won a 
WrestleMania headliner. One of the best main events of all time in a WrestleMania right there. There's your guy. Uh, You know, guys like... You know, Billy Kidman and Dean Malenko, who, you know, have gone on to be uh, behind-the-scenes guys. Yeah, Kidman's, really... Kidman's running the shit out of SmackDown. Yeah, and SmackDown's amazing. Yep. It, it's You have these guys just sitting there. They're yours. Mm-hmm. They're yours to use. And and you can't do anything. Well, I like, I like that you just said the word used, because that's exactly what WCW did. They used them. For what they were good at, which was putting on great matches, because we right. love those matches. We're going to put you at the beginning of the card, and you're going to get the crowd really hyped and get them into this, and you're going to get them to buy in on a couple pay per views just because you have a great match. We're going to use you for what yeah. you're good at, but we're never going to let you pop the right way you should pop, and we're never going to put you at the top of the card. You might be a tag champion, you might become a United States champion at best, but that's about all you're going to get. Exactly, and. You know, I, I want to get into this discussion about favorite moments and and matches and rivalries in WCW. And one of my favorite rivalries and just matches and a series of matches was best for of seven. the <sighs> yes, knew you, knew you were going there. The best of seven. Best of seven between Chris Benoit and Booker T for the TV title. Yeah, that Amazing. is strong. They went back and forth every match, I think. Right? Yes, so. and it went to a seventh. And I was a big my brother was a big Booker T fan. I was a big Chris Benoit fan. So yeah. we were actually fighting with each other <laughs> over this best of seven. And the matches were so good. And, and we would and if we couldn't get the pay-per-view, we would follow play-by-play online on the chat rooms. Desperate times. Yes. Yeah. When, when, you're a, when you're a preteen uh, and you don't have money, you've got to find a way. Okay. But – it was, and I was a Chris Benoit guy. Like he was, he was my, you know, Daniel Bryan. Yeah. And, you know, though that was one of just that was a testament to what WCW brought to the table. And I, I want to. That's great that you bring that up. But I want to go back a little bit before that because we we okay. we keep mentioning it briefly. But I think this is worth discussing because it affects all of WCW, and that is the creation of the NWO in 1996 at the Bash of the Beach. With Hulk Hogan. Okay, and you know that is a memorable moment and something that you know you can't forget just for what it did to the business. Because yeah, I mean, listen to uh, tell me if you agree or not. Without that moment, does wrestling survive? Oh, well, that's that's hard to to answer. That's, I think like I, that. Okay. But, I mean, this was a completely the, the reason I bring this up. Is because when we decided to do this this episode, obviously we were going to talk about the NWO. It was bound to happen. But what I did was I went back to the moment at the Bash of the Beach, and I pulled it up, and I watched the match. And what happens is when Hulk Hogan drops the leg on Macho Man, nowadays we expect that every wrestler we love is going to be face and heel, right, at some point. Yes. We know they're going to turn. If they do turn unexpectedly, it's like, Oh, God, I wasn't ready for it, but okay, oh, I kind of was. Rollins hit him with a chair. I, right. I thought that was going to come later. Right. So what, what we have here in 96 was Hulk Hogan was never a heel, aside from when he was like in the AWA in the early 80s when he was not relevant. Hulk when he Hogan, was Thunderlips on <laughs> <laughs> Rocky Three. Yeah, when um, Hogan had been, and maybe even to this day, is the greatest face draw of all of wrestling, and he, he certainly may deserve that. But, and there was no way he was going to turn. There's no, no way. There's literally no way. no way this would ever happen. So, of course, Eric Bischoff would pull that card and Hogan would do it. So what I did was I went back and I watched it. And the crowd reaction when it happened was like nothing you've ever seen. Instantaneous. They were completely silent and they were just like open, open mouth like, I don't believe this is actually happening. There was no like – Oh, there was like no boo. There was no cheer. There was a little bit of in-betweens from a couple people. But most of the crowd was like, I can't actually believe what I'm seeing. Because and this then is... the trash came in. And then after it had sunk in, yeah, exactly. For a couple minutes, people were like, oh my god, this just happened. But instantly when it happened, if that happened now, we'd get an instant reaction from the fucking crowd. The IWC oh, yeah. would break and we'd be like, oh my god, boo, oh yeah. Oh my god, Cena hit an oh, AA on no. someone that he shouldn't. Uh. Right. But then since this was completely unexpected, the crowd was like, I actually can't believe – that he'd turn on Macho Man. They were the mega powers. Yeah. Like this, there's no way. 
And so I love that crowd reaction because there is no reaction. It's hard to it's hard to even describe it. And then, and then when Hogan comes out originally, the announcers go wild. Oh yeah, they're like, "Yes, Super finally we it. have someone who will who will stop these outsiders. Someone yeah. who will you know put an end to the reign of terror of these two. I think Hogan you know, was in cowboy bullies. boots too. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was, or they were wrestling boots I, looking like cowboy boots. But they I, were I'm good. pretty sure it was just his regular wrestling boots. But. But he was Still. definitely decked out in his full-on Hulkamania uh, gear. Hulkamania gear, man, red and yellow. And the and Bobby the Brain is like Hulkamania is running wild, you know. It, it, this this is happening. Tony Schiavone's going crazy. Right, and that is one of the greatest, and it of course an argu- arguable term, but it is one of the best storylines and best moments of any wrestling promotion of all time, and it will forever be, because Hulk Hogan turned heel, and the NWO was now the coolest thing to hate, and now the coolest thing to love at the same time. People did not know what to do with the NWO. I love all three of these guys in the ring, but they're bad guys. Oh, but I love them. Do I cheer them? Do I hate them? And that's the initial part of people starting to cheer the heels. It actually happened, and we see that a yes, lot today, that's, unfortunately. That's definitely where it started. Unfortunately, I, I will boo a heel. I love the Miz, <laughs> yes. but I will boo the fuck out of him on some TV or if I'm there. Especially when I'm watching with my daughter, and she looks at me, and she goes, that's definitely a bad guy, Dad. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, yes. he is a boo. boo. I, I still like you, Alexa Bliss, but you, you are a you're bad a person. You're a fucking heel, and you're a great heel at that. So boo, so but you're heel. so talented. And this yes. is the struggle that people had to deal with. And the NWO was now the coolest thing, even though they were the baddest guys. And, I mean, it, like I think we should obviously talk about this too, is it became the cool thing to be in NWO, right? Uh, it, it became yes. the cool thing to easily get over by being in the NWO. And and we've talked about this before when we talked about tag teams and factions. Yeah, It's like when, when a faction you know, gets so over – you have this tendency to just throw people into it to get them instantly over, and WCW yeah. fell into that so hard. And depending on how you're researching it, but from my research, I found out that the NWO, including the TNA version of the band, included anywhere between 55 to 63 different people. At, at separate times, they were either members of or directly associated to the NWO. That is way too many fucking people, right? So that's that's the exact equivalent of – that's hyperbole. It's not the exact equivalent, but yeah. that's that's what we're dealing with now with the Bullet Club. It's exactly. Now, it's now cool to be part of the Bullet Club just to get yourself over or get on the internet, and it's terrible. Yeah, you know, and you know, you too sweet anybody, and you know, <sighs> you're instantly all over the internet. Yeah. And you know it was the same thing then. You know, you, you don the black and white, or you you know beat up a good guy. You beat up a face, and yeah. instantly you were the cool guy. You know, Virgil was in NWO. Virgil was in there. That's right. Trillionaire oh. Ted DiBiase was in that bitch. Yes. Six Pack was in that bitch. Six. Oh. <laughs> and Let's not get into that. No, I know you don't want to talk about that. But anywhere yes. between, so like in general, but, sixty no, but, different people. But. When you hear Eric Bischoff talk about it, it it was – I see what the grand plan was. It, it didn't materialize really that way. That way, It kind of did, but they just kept pushing uh, the NWO afterwards was you, know, you, you build up these you know, incredible bad guys, and you know, it seems like they're unstoppable. They're this unstoppable force, and then mm-hmm. you, have, you have that one good guy that stands up to them. That Sting. good guy becomes – yes. Sting and DDP became megastars. They put them over. Because of, yes, because of going after the NWO. Yeah. But and, – and that's something I want to talk about is Sting. I, I liked Sting pre-Crow uh, phase, but when he when he left and he they started showing him in the Raptors and – Yeah. I, I, I fell hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. For Sting. Gimmick he, development with Sting took off from short-haired, colorful Sting in like 90, 91, 92 to the Crow version, if you will, of him. They developed the character into be something completely different. Than he he was out was. of the ring and off of TV for a year. A year almost. Yeah, that's right. And Ridiculous. It, and it worked so brilliantly. And this was at the time where WCW was, you know, kind of at its peak. Yeah. And then 
after that is where you started to see the decline. And it was a slow decline at first, but then it took a sharp turn downwards. So that, that moment, you know, was was an amazing moment and a moment I I, I cherished as, you know, a young wrestling fan was staying overcoming uh, Hulk Hogan in really a back asswards way. You know, you, you've seen it talked about on different uh, documentaries and different uh, YouTube shows where Sting was out of shape. Uh, it had a wonky finish with Bret Hart yelling at the ref for fast counting, even though he didn't fast count. Uh, and the match itself wasn't very good. Nope. But the moment made up. For all of that, Sting wins. Everyone comes into the ring and congratulates him. him, All that, and then after Sting, you have, or along with Sting, you have Goldberg, who was the one and only guy that Eric Bischoff was able to build from the ground up. Bill Goldberg went through the power plant. And yes. came through the bottom of the card. Well, middle started at the middle of the card and just started running through people from Bill DeMott all the way up to Kevin Nash. And I remember, I will always. That's one of those moments that that I, I won't ever forget as first wrestling match? fans. His first ever match, right? And I remember going, "Wow, I don't, I didn't think Hugh Morris was that bad." Right, and there's a reason this, I guess Hugh Morris and uh, Bill DeMott found himself down and training people in NXT because he's good at what he does. And he was supposed to get Goldberg over. And that's really exactly what fucking happened. That's 100% what happened. And and from that moment, the mystique of Goldberg was instantly created because he, he, he walked up the ramp and Mean Gene tried to stop him to get an interview. And he's just like, no. Oh, yeah. And he just walked away. The character and, of Bill Goldberg was on that top tier level. He was and it not, wasn't. There wasn't even much of a character. No, okay, it was a lack of a character in essence. Yeah. But the yes. idea of the character of Bill Goldberg <laughs> yes. was was a huge draw. And they just and they built him the right way. He was never amazing in the ring. Nothing he did in the ring. He was never even decent. He, he in did. The ring. He did a great spear and he did the jackhammer. And you know he could do the gorilla press slam and turn it into a like a a modified pump handle type slam. So those were good power moves to see. But obviously the guy was not a talented wrestler in the ring by any means. That's why he still gets hate today, unfortunately, that he's the champion now. And I understand the heat that he gets from people because, you know, he's old as shit and he shouldn't be holding the title. But what they did with him was absolutely amazing. And I think had they not had a guy like that to do the streak with, the streak is what kept them at the level that they were. I don't know what the hell else they would have done had they not had a streak-type storyline to develop with Bill Goldberg for two years. Now, did you watch when they finally built to him winning the world title? Did, uh, did you watch that match with I, him and Hogan I've in the Georgia the, Dome? I've seen the match with Hogan, and originally, I'm glad you brought this up. This is on my bad list. At first, okay. I did not realize how how negative of a thing it was until I took, a, I took a, the perspective of if this match would have been on pay-per-view and they build it that way, how big of a draw it would have been, and it would have been their probably biggest grossing pay-per-view of all time. And so, it wouldn't have been a, would not have even been close. Right. Because not only do you sell out the Georgia Dome, yep. which held over 60,000 60, people. 60,000 people, right. You put it on free TV, and I watched it. And yep. and don't get me wrong, I was I was very pleased as as a kid. Oh yeah, to to be able to watch it. I, I remember sitting there with all of my brothers. My brothers, my my, they stopped watching wrestling. They weren't even into wrestling anymore. But that match alone drew them into. You know, we all sat in the living room. Yep. You know, with the lights out, just like staring at the TV and, for this match. And I and then, I, go ahead. And, and then when he lifted up. Hulk Hogan and hit him with a jackknife. Like, we went ballistic. Jack Hammer is what you meant to Jack say. Jack Hammer, yes. I understand. We're talking Kevin Nash. But uh, <laughs> at first, I really didn't get it. Like, why Why is this? Because when I started researching, this is when I'm talking about this like years ago, and I was like, why is it such a bad thing? Like, we, the, it was one of the biggest crowd pops of all time because he's from Atlanta, obviously, and the, the crowd would love it. But I realized that, okay, they gave this away for free and they never properly utilized big money matches on pay-per-views. So had they built this to a pay-per-view a couple weeks down the road, 
this would have absolutely sold out wherever the hell they were going to be and they would have got millions of buys for it because you pretty much know Goldberg's going over and to not put it on pay-per-view took away millions of buys for the biggest pop that you have of your entire year when you're putting over the streak of Goldberg. And my God, this is the, that, that crowd is hot, man. When, when he lifts him up into that, that jackhammer and pins his ass, like the crowd is amazing. But, they they went absolutely nuts because, like you said, they're in his hometown yeah. where he played professional football in that stadium. Yeah. So I guess they felt like they really had to capitalize on the of of the Monday Nitro being in that that environment. But I mean, you got to find a way to take advantage of it in a different way. Like, do part of your storyline build. And that. and that's that's what we were we've been talking about is that issues at the top is they made those kinds of decisions and you know we we talked about this earlier eric bischoff being obsessed with beating vince and putting vince out of business that he made yep. the decision to put this on nitro for ratings yep. just for television ratings and they you're won gonna that get week. Big, they, yes they did but you're gonna you're gonna get the ratings regardless you know get get the money go for the money because right. like you said not only did they give away millions of pay-per-view buys those millions of pay-per-view buy- buys turn into millions of dollars that mm-hmm. you were sorely lacking towards the end of WCW. And maybe not millions, but thousands of other followers who may not be true wrestling fans, but they know the name Bill Goldberg. And they know that he's going to be on pay-per-view against Hulk Hogan. Oh, I know that name too. Yeah, Goldberg's going to win, we think. Okay, I'll buy that pay-per-view now. So now you have a different type of audience drawing into your pay-per-view and maybe they're going to follow on the next week because now they're following a guy that they knew in high school or a guy that they follow on their followed on their football team named Bill Goldberg. They're going to start following what he's doing now because he's a world champion of something called WCW. Well, now I'm going to follow that. Exactly. And, and you, you take that moment and you put it on free TV, but then, you know, your big moment that you have on pay-per-view with the streak breaking yeah. instead of having it broken by a, an up-and-coming person or, you know, building up to this great feud mm. between Bill Goldberg and someone else like Kevin Nash. You, you end a streak by Scott Hall tasing? Yeah, dirty Bill win. Goldberg. Dirty win. It should have been an opportunity that, for somebody to legitimately break. That would have put anybody over. That next night... You, you have the the finger poke of doom. The, the poke of doom happened the very next night, oh. and Hulk Hogan is now your WCW NWO World Champion once again. What are you thinking, WC? And that's that's where the downfall was. That Vince WCW. Russo, or that not? was Kevin Nash. That was Nash, but it was Russo that was there? Russo wasn't there yet. Nash was booking at that time. That's right. That's amazing. That was a Nash and Hogan decision. Kevin Nash was the actual booker for WCW. Like a talent. talent. A talent. talent. The top guy of of your roster with the title. Not only does he have creative control over himself. Yep. Now now he has creative control of everybody. Now he's booking everybody and himself and his character and his own personal self. That's awesome. Hey, Goldberg, guess what? Streak over. Guess how? I'm tasing (laughs) Scott Hall is going to bring his drunk ass out. And he's gonna tase you. Regardless, though, I mean, it's still one of the most talked about moments it, it ever. It is, but is not for, not in a good way. No, a lot of moments in wrestling are not talked about for a good That's way, true. but it, it's definitely still talked about. Remember that night that Scott Hall tased Goldberg, and then he got his ass jackknifed, and he lost. Yeah, that, that was crazy. Streak? Yeah, one seventy three and one, motherfucker. <laughs> so. There wasn't even that many weeks. Like, I know. How, you, how did he get that many wins? How many house shows did he do? Yeah, a lot of house shows in there. I guess. Who's counting? Who was keeping Somebody, track? I don't know. Maybe Bobby the Brain was. He have you heard that they're comparing Asuka's winning streak to Goldberg's? I have. And she's like 140-something or another? Yeah. It's insane. I don't know if those are all real, but regardless, they're- I hope she breaks it and they don't give her a taser to the chest. There's Vince McMahon for you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yes, that moment—the taser, the finger poke—is is where you 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 knew it was the beginning of the end. Thank you for saying it, because I think that is the true 
the that's where the that's where people start rolling downhill, man. That's where I'm sure the guys in the back are like, "Wow, that's how this is going." Like, that's terrible. We're then, putting back together the NWO, and then Hogan's champion again, and everyone else has creative control, and that guy is booking all of us. Like, oh my god! And so, then that's and then you, you go from that to a guy that. A guy like Vince Russo, yeah, now taking control of your booking, and one of the first things he does when he gets there is says he says, "I want to get rid of everyone that's forty and over." <laughs> so, which brings me to a point I need, to, I need to ask you right now. Is, okay, so when Ric Flair was in the WCW, why was he not billed as a top guy? For the majority of his time in WCW, I know he had a lot of personal heat in the back with um, with Bischoff, but yes, why do you not take the greatest professional wrestler of all time, the best NWA product of all time, and put him at the top of the card in some type of fashion on a consistent basis, or have him holding your title instead? I mean, they do a lot of Four Horsemen stuff. Obviously, they do a lot of tag team stuff, like. With um, him and Arn versus Austin and Pillman, you see a lot of that. They should have booked Ric Flair like he was a true top talent throughout his time, and less of David Flair. Yeah, to, to your point, you know why? Why not keep the one guy who's been the biggest draw in wrestling besides Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. at the time, and and put him in your main event scene? He doesn't have to always have the title but have him up there have him on your show at least yeah you know doing what he does best which is wrestling and and just saying nonsensical things on the mic or you know even if you don't want to have him wrestling because he was you know pretty old at the time yeah he's getting older yeah uh do what wwe did when they brought him in and put him in a uh, put him in a faction yeah or put him as a, like a gm in a GM role, you know, have him feud with Bischoff, uh, have a feud with Bischoff in, you know, a managerial aspect. You know, they have their two separate brands. You know, Bischoff has NWO, bring in Flair to run WCW, and then you have a built-in, uh, I don't want to say like an invasion angle, but yeah. but a, Something, you know, right? like a SmackDown versus Raw angle. Mm-hmm. You know, ha- put put WCW on Thunder and have NWO on Nitro, and then you know start having like some kind of cross cross promotion thing, and you just utilize your greatest talent properly, or just right. utilize them at all, really. I just think it's worth mentioning that at that you know in those later years, there were there were deserving champions, obviously, but then again we also start talking about Jeff Jarrett and Scott Steiner. And some of those later guys at at the end there that may or may not have been the best option at the time. So had they properly utilized Ric Flair for several years leading up to the end, I think the product would have – it wouldn't have saved it by any means. But very disrespectful, I think, to not use Flair just simply based off a lot of personal heat that he had in the back with Bischoff and some other guys to literally put the greatest wrestler of all time in the mid-card. And to do nothing else but work the mid card and not use it to like put guys over or develop you know deep storylines. There's none of that. No, and it definitely wouldn't have saved the product in the long run, just because as we've been talking about, just the complete mismanagement that WCW had from really beginning to end. Mm-hmm. You know, you you had your bright spots when when Bischoff you know originally brought in the NWO and they made that hard push to put WWE out of business. But really, other than that, that brief bright spot, uh, bright spot from '96 through really most of '98. Mm-hmm. I mean, WCW did not have much going for it in the leadership department. No. It had it, everything going for it in the in the actual talent department, but nothing in the leadership department. Nope their their cards were date like every Monday their cards were better than whatever WWF was putting on, and they would tell you about it. They would of course they'd leak the footage of a taped RAW, and they'd uh, say, "Well, don't mind this. Ahmed Johnson and Mankind are gonna wrestle, and Mankind gets a win, so don't waste your time there." And that of course bit them in the ass one of those nights when Foley won the fucking title. 
Who's not going to go and watch that happen? That a, a title change, a title change on a on a free TV. Who's not going to go and watch that? Yep, to a guy who formerly worked in WCW. Yes, so guys that may have liked him. Yeah. So uh, that was 100% Eric Bischoff. He told Tony Tony Schiavone to say that'll put butts in the seat. That whole quote that he said, and it definitely backfired because fuck yeah, I want to watch. That's one of the. That's probably the biggest pop in WWF history when Austin comes out, smacks Rock with the chair, pulls Mankind over for the pin. Oh, he smacked everybody with a chair. Yeah, and, and <laughs> he then went on a chair smacking. Earl spring. Hebner gives us his classic, you know, really slow, methodical three count, and Mick Foley wins <laughs> the goddamn title. He has to crawl title. into the room, and I mean and into the ring. Into the ring. So, I mean, it's it's one of the biggest pops of all time. So, obviously, I'm probably going to go watch this. So, I, you know, people weren't truly into – unless you were a diehard WCW fan, you left or you changed the channel to go watch that. You did. And, so, and at the time, I was still a diehard WCW fan. My ultimate changeover back to WWE was – and we talked about this previously – the David Arquette – title yeah, change absolutely that and we talked about this in our worst moments in wrestling history and that that's really where i was like i can't i can't take this seriously anymore it was no longer a serious wrestling product for me and to compound that wwf was doing really good stuff in 99 and 2000 those were some of their best that years. was their best years and if you were even remotely into that product, you were going over there to watch The Rock and Austin and Mankind, and you were watching all the shit that they were doing. So when you give me a guy like David Arquette, I'm going to think this is more of a of a show than an entertainment product that I want to watch. So I'm going to change the channel until David Arquette is no longer the champion. Then maybe I'll tune back. But until then, you're losing me. And I think that drew away a lot of people. And... It, it drew me away, and I didn't come back because uh, no. you know, David Arquette wins the title. Guess who who wins it You know later on? Vince Russo, Vince Russo. Yeah. beats Goldberg in a steel cage match to win the title. Uh, and so I completely you know divorced myself from WCW until I accidentally, like I mentioned before on a previous show, accidentally watched the final episode of Nitro. Yeah, and and then you you're like, okay, WCW's over. I didn't really care all that much in the last few years. No. I could tell you anything that was going on at the time. Oh, Booker T's holding the title. That's cool. I really liked him. Yep. I mean, good for him. And that's really the only thing for me that is good to look back on is in probably most of 2000 and 2001 is a guy that you cared about years before a guy like Booker T. But we constantly mention him because we love the way he came up through the entire system, through being a mid-card guy, to being a great tag team guy, to being a mid-card title holder, to having great matches, to being one of the best WCW champions of all time and, and a Hall of Fame guy. So he's really the only thing that is even good to look back on because there wasn't a lot of booking. Remember, I mentioned in the last episode that the week prior to that last Monday Nitro, Dustin Runnels was main eventing... Oh that night okay now i love I, gold dust i yes. love gold dust all all respect in the world to 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 runnels to the entire to the runnels slash right? roads family and i think gold dust will he'll be a hall of fame guy for being a Absolutely. great mid card guy 100%. in the future but he is not a top card guy dustin runnels character was not a top card guy but that's what they had to work with so that's there was nothing there for anybody really anymore so there's really no interest so if you were watching wwf at the time then you know 99, 2000, 2001, those were amazing years to be fans of the WWF. Just the, just the best. You, you had everything best at years. the time. And, and if you made the – you, you watched WCW in those years and you're like, this is absolute garbage. Yeah. And then you go and watch a WWF or WWE Raw episode. You're like, well, this is what WCW used to be like. Yep. Now I like this. Let me stay now, and watch I love this for this a while. Now. This is fantastic. Who's who's this? Rock? I remember the first time I saw The Rock, I was like, who is this guy? Yep. He's hilarious. He's funny on the mic, and he's over. It's like, so. oh, the Stone Cold. Now, one of the the first things I thought of when I saw Stone Cold, I was never a huge, you know, Stone Cold fan because, you know, I was first thought that I came to my head was this guy never loses yeah 
And he's shoved down our throats. He's he overbooked. He's my looked throat. to be too powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I was a stupid mark even when I was a kid. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you watched Raw and you were like, this is what I've been missing. This is what WCW used to be like before Kevin Nash was jumping into you know swimming pools and they were having swimming pool matches. And Jeff Jarrett is laying down on a pay-per-view for Hulk Hogan to pin him. Because because like, he's pissed off with backstage because politics. Because I'm because... mad at the politics that's going ah. on with Vince Russo. I'm letting that affect the actual product that I love to he do has that I've been doing since the 80s. To think, to be on his side and and to not only lay down in front of a legend like Hulk Hogan, yep. but really you're threatening to throw your entire career away. You better fucking do it, and thank God he did it. I don't know, man. There's multiple things that we could actually say are the, the driving forces of this. Nitro and WCW, they were they were great, literally great. I don't say that for a lot of things or a lot no. of matches for a lot of people. You really don't. I can attest to that. They were great for the, for the times that they that they were. We're talking like that 96, 97, parts of 98 era. They, they were, and they, they definitely beat out WWF. But when you allow talent to run the show and you don't have the proper support you need from above and the right type of guidance, then things get out of hand. And that's when you have that's when you have Hulk Hogan doing whatever he wants and Kevin Nash doing whatever he wants because they're in control of a multi-million dollar company and they have opinions and they're they think their opinions matter and we don't care about their opinions as fans. You know, there there's a lot that we can continue to talk about, uh, a lot more issues that there were uh, backstage in the ring itself. You know, a lot we can talk about about the history of WCW. WCW has such a rich rich history and there's just there's so little or what we've done here can't do enough justice to what wcw did as a company as a whole you know the joy it brought to you and me as kids the joy it brought to people all over the world and and what it really did for wrestling as a whole and you know there's only so much we can we can talk in in this short amount of time and it's something that maybe we'll you know go back and research some more and talk about again at a later time but you know when when you're a pro wrestling fan and you're talking wrestling you you always have to go back and talk about WCW from beginning to end it was a it was a you know high high drawing entity it's something that you know brought so many casual fans of wrestling into the business itself and made lifelong wrestling fans of but you know WCW is what it is it was riddled with many issues uh, had poor management throughout its history but at the end of the day it may have been the most important driving force in the wrestling industry ever very good to say it it, it probably is another arguable point as everything is in this subjective ass wrestling world we live in but their their rise from you know being territorial in Georgia Championship, like you said, and Mid South, all those territories, and the NWA, and then becoming the WCW, it it gave us a lot of a lot of great moments, a lot of great matches. Sting versus Flair is a lot. There's a lot of good shit in there to to go back and talk about, and it gave us guys that today even are still impacting the business. I mean, you may or may not like it, but we still have Bill Goldberg. He can still draw. You're still fucking watching. And Chris Jericho is still one of the best talents in the world. And had he not had the opportunity in WCW to do what he did, we would not have Chris Jericho today. So yeah, more bad than good, obviously. But uh, I'm still glad. I mean, still, I we all still love to go back and watch old WCW and especially the documentaries of how it all came to be. So real glad we did this. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely an interesting story and a very important story that any wrestling fan, uh, especially newer fans or younger fans, if you've never really delved into the WCW history, it's something that you should definitely go into, uh, you know, read up on it, watch all the documentaries, go back on the network and watch some of the older shows from, you know, 95 when Nitro started through 98 when Nitro was, was at its peak. Right. And before it started its descent, but you'll definitely not be disappointed. And WCW is definitely a company that deserves its place in wrestling history. 
Yeah, they have a lot of good pay-per-views. You can go back and, and watch. The Starcades are good. Some of the bashes are really good. There's a lot of good stuff that happened. So if you like wrestling and you like good storyline telling, there's a lot of good stuff in there. You just gotta sometimes you just gotta sift a little harder than you want to to find some of the great stuff that happened in WCW, but it's obviously there. And you know, this has been our discussion on WCW, not just you know a, a small tidbit of WCW like like the last Nitro but really WCW as a whole as it affected us and, and as it's affected the wrestling industry as a whole. As always if there's something that you feel that we left out go ahead and let us know on uh, Facebook and Twitter and you can also find us on Instagram on Twitter we are at CAE Wrestling and on Facebook just search collar and elbow wrestling we're there you can you know continue the discussion there we love talking to you guys you know we we make it a point to always you know, respond to all, you know, comments, respond to all of our fans who want to join in the wrestling conversation. Um, you can download us, you know, wherever you downloaded us from, either iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. Uh, as always, we do this for the love of wrestling, and together we can make wrestling great again.